welcome to the Big Daddy Liberty Show. It is a Friday morning, and um, yeah, it's a very cold morning. Winter is clearly, clearly here. If you're a Game of Thrones fan, then you are quite happy, um, because that winter is finally here. Uh, welcome to the show. Hello, how's Shalom, as I always say. And Shabbat Shalom to those of you who are observant and are... Um, ready for another Shabbos, another 25 hours of just logging off from everything, the pinging, the uh, inboxing, the frenetic rushing around and the technology and actually resting and praising Hashem. Um, Guys, welcome to it again. I've got a jam-packed show. As always on the show, we begin with just looking at the news week that was. What are the, some of the big items that were interesting, that got us talking, that got us angry, smiling, you name it. Uh, we'll have that conversation after this first ad break. And then, be, when, uh, excuse me, and then for the major segment today, the major interview, I've got a special, special guest, um, Mr. Nicholas Wood-Smith who is, of course, the managing editor of The Rational Standard. That is an online uh, newspaper. Uh, so we're going to have that conversation with him at 20 past nine. And then, of course, we end the show by always looking at what we can expect in the news week ahead. And um, we, we answer the, the, the age-old question of the week of who is the Moomish of the week. So you can look forward to that uh, towards the end of the show. So let me just quick, take a quick ad break, and I'll see you after these short messages. Join Big Daddy on the Big Daddy Liberty Show every Friday mornings at 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. on 101.9 High FM. The Big Daddy Liberty Show is the only show in South Africa that discusses current affairs, politics, and economic topics through the lens of liberty. All right, guys, welcome back to the BDL show, the Big Daddy Liberty show, which is also uh, syndicated on other radio stations and becomes a podcast, of course. I'll put this up as a podcast on all your favorite podcast um, mediums, including YouTube. Um, This week has been a, a rather interesting week for me, and it's almost almost been dominated by by one major issue for me and uh, a major issue which is an ongoing one if i'm to be brutally honest you know w- we live in a country which never ceases to amaze me in terms of the ongoing and persistent levels of violence against the more vulnerable segments of our society whether that is women children or the elderly and i've always argued that there is you know uh, Again, you'll hear all sorts of social, uh, social justice-orientated theories around this. You know, theories from the feminist groupings, uh, and you know, the social scientists, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which often don't really match and resemble the reality of what's going on on the ground. Which I've always argued, a lot of the problems we experience when it comes to, for example, gender-based violence, is the breakdown of the family. The, the family units in this country, where we do not render and give support uh, and, and greater emphasis to families, which is the first, essentially, level of, of quote-unquote government, if I can call it that, that we're actually socialized in. It's the first and the most important level of society in which the individual is socialized in, and we, we, we just don't pay much credence to this level of government. Instead, what we often do as South Africans is we, we shirk this responsibility onto politicians. 
we, we somehow think politicians and government can solve problems that are deeply rooted in the sort of structures that are required at a community and, again, as I said, a family level. Why am I bringing this up? Why am I raising this? Well, if you are a fan of my show and you pay attention to the content I put out on YouTube, you would have known that I put out a vlog this week in which I discussed this very issue. This very issue in in the context of late, the latest excuse me um, uh, case of a woman, a 28-year-old woman, uh, Ms. Tehofato Pule, 28-year-old, as I said, who was eight months pregnant, who was murdered, found in a field somewhere around Rudderport, stabbed to death, and then hung in a tree. I mean, what is wrong with our society when this is how men... Because, again, the murder accused is, is currently before court. And Mr. Zilaise Malepani, a 31-year-old uh, man, is currently before court. And I ask the question, what is going wrong in society when men feel as though this is how... Firstly, where, where, where individual men feel like they have a, 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 a complete disregard for the life, liberty, and property rights of other people generally... And then specifically feel as though, uh, for whatever reason, that they are they have the right, or because uh, you know again I'm struggling to get to the words here because one has to go into the psyche of someone who is really 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 um, uh, has a wanton disregard for the life, liberty, and, prop and property rights of, of clearly other women of women in particular, sorry. Where you can have a, a third, peop, my peers, people who are around my age, I'm 34, who can do something like this. And again, this man appeared in court uh, yesterday, uh, the, the murder accused, uh, Mr. Mzilaise Malepane, 31 as I said, and effectively confessed to the murder and didn't even seek bail. And this is what should scare and shock as even more beyond the heinous nature and the violent nature of, of, of the murder itself, is that this man uh, claims that he was promised 70,000 rand for her murder and that he had actually tried before, a month before, to kill uh, Tsekhofat, ultimately succeeding this time, tragically, killing not just one life, he said, effectively, but two, because, as I said, Tsekhofat Opule was a, an expectant mother. She was eight months pregnant. Such is the, 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 the disregard in our society for the value of life. That we, there are people who are literally willing, if I'm to take what this man is saying, to pay money to kill someone. So that I expect, and again, kudos to the SAPS, because the South African Police Service, because it actually, this, this was really uh, good policing work because this, this this happened recently insofar as the body being found and the suspect was was brought to book uh, quite quickly, I think within the, the, the space of a week. And I'm expecting, therefore, given his own, um, you know, uh, uh, confession that there likely will be other arrests because surely someone had to have promised to pay him the 70,000 rand for this woman's murder. But I zoom in on this issue because, again, I've raised the issue on, on the vlog, which is there is something wrong in the manner in which we're missing young women, young women, uh, young women and young men, excuse me, in socializing them. And socializing people often happens, imparting values often happens at the level of the family. So that you now have a situation where men don't see themselves as the protectors of women 
That is a deep problem for me. That is a big problem for me. I mean, I live on a planet, and regardless of your particular view, whether you're religious like me or not, but I, I, I'm of the view that I live on a planet where Hashem placed men and essentially women to work together, to protect each other, specifically for men to play the role of being protectors, whether that is your girlfriend, your wife, your sister, your friend. We are all to play that role of being defenders, protectors. That's how I was raised. The idea of being chivalrous to be a gentleman, and that for me, when I look at the situation, I must go back to if men are not going to play the role that they're supposed to play, then by goodness, we've got to empower women to be, the very, to be their own self-responders. We've got to empower women to be their greatest self-defenders. And I'm in f- firmly in favor, and this is where a lot of people lose me because th- there's an irrational fear around this, but I'm in firmly in favor of enhancing gun rights in this country for women who want to, and let me emphasize this for women who want to, being able to get training, being proficient, number two, and number three, being able to own a gun. Because a gun is a, 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 a firearm, to be specific, is a fantastic way to allow the individual, especially weaker in physically, people of weaker physically, to, to equalize the odds in a situation like this. For a woman to be able to stand her ground and say, here and no further, would be rapist, would be abuser, would be murderer. If you so much as try to uh, harm or kill me or even infringe on my life, liberty and property rights, I will be able to dispense justice in that moment and defend my life, liberty and property. That is the society I want, where we read more headlines about women protecting themselves and extinguishing evil, pushing back against an abuser, pushing back against a rapist, pushing back against a would-be murderer in that moment. Those are the sort of headlines I want to read. And not headlines about more women and more uh, families being broken because mothers are being killed, sisters are being killed, wives, girlfriends are being killed. I'm tired of those headlines. And I'm saying you should be too. Anyway, that's my, that's my assessment for the week, man, because as, as I said, this is the one thing that really dominated um, my, my, my news week. There are other things, and I'll, I'll cover that in the end segment in terms of what we need to watch out for in the news week ahead. But for me, the gender-based violence must stop, and empowering women is a critical uh, element of that. Anyway, I need to keep an eye on time. I'm gonna t- I must take an ad break. After the break, as I said, I'm joined by Mr. Nicholas Wood-Smith, the editor of uh, The Rational Standard, as we look at the announcement made by the president uh, to quote-unquote enhance level three yep. lockdown. So I'll catch you after the break with my guest. All right, welcome back to the Big Daddy Liberty Show. I am your favorite fat boy, Big Daddy Liberty. I am in conversation, as I said before the break, with Nicholas Wood-Smith, who is the managing editor of The Rational Standard. Let me say welcome to you, Nicholas, on the show. Are you on the line? Nicholas, Hello. Okie dokie. Uh, Okie dokie. We uh, now have Nick on the line. Nick. Uh, Iman, you know, these Gremlins, they, 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 they can get you at the best of times, no matter how prepared you are. Of course, as I said before, uh, we just had to fix that whole sound issue. Is Nick is the managing editor of The Rational Standard. That is an online news publication. Um, that, that views issues um, primarily through the lens of liberty. Um, so let me just welcome Nick to the show. Nick, I hope you can hear me now. 
Yeah, I can, fortunately. Good morning, Nick. As you said, it happens. Excellent. Nick, welcome to the show. Um, Nick, let's maybe hop straight into it. Um, you know, I, I, I was railing against, uh, you know, before the break, the, the issue of... Uh, you know, gender-based violence. And, you know, I, I, I had to circle back to the idea that, you know, a lot of these issues stem from, some yes, some of the social issues, of course, including um, what I like to really pinpoint as being the breakdown of the family, how the individual often is not being socialized and we, we often miss um, being socialized in, in stable, loving family environments um, for various social issues. Now, I, I raise this because, you know, the president, Cyril Ramaphosa, spoke about this in his address this week. Um, in addition to essentially making announcements around what he uh, or what government at one point labeled enhanced level three lockdown. Um, but let's zoom in on this particular topic of, of the lockdown, whether it's enhanced or, or not. Um, your views generally on, on the lockdown. I mean, I think we're sitting on near day 90 of it now. Yeah, well, um, a lot of people thought it was going to be that temporary two, three-week lockdown. It's been so long, I forgot how long it was supposed to be in the first place. Mm. Um, and I told them um, that, I think it's a Ronald Reagan quote, which is, there's nothing as uh, permanent as a temporary government program. Mm. And I never thought that we were going to be getting out of this lockdown easily and on time and on a plan, mostly because I think it was very obvious from the start that our government and the uh, very appropriately and inappropriately named National Command Council just loves the power that they've been given That's and also right. love all the kickbacks from the people who are benefiting from the lockdown and its side policies. Let's not go too much into that. I don't want to be, <laughs> I don't want to be hit for libel. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but you, I mean, you, you, you're raising something which is 100% accurate and we've actually raised it on the show, which is it does seem as though the, the lockdown now has very little to do, that's if you believe the initial rationale for, uh, you know, uh, addressing COVID-19. And now, if anything, we're, we're seeing a lockdown that is pivoting towards politicians, uh, flexing their muscles. In other words, testing certain um, powers in greater form uh, on a population which is, you know, obviously sub subdued under the fear of, you know, the COVID-19. Um, I mean, as I said, we're nearly on 90 days. I mean, we're sitting on day 85 in real terms of the lockdown, effectively placing us now in one of the longest in the world. Um, but I, I want to zoom in on, on the president's announcement. Um, essentially, was it last night or the night before, that we're now in a, a, a different enhanced level, if you will, of, of level three, where we, we, you know, we, we now have, um, and let me just go to my notes here, in terms of some of the major changes, um, you know, we, we're now allowed, for instance, um, uh, you know, to be able to sit down in a restaurant now it, under limited capacity, you know, personal care services. These are your hairdressers, nail care, et cetera, et cetera, are now allowed. Um, and I use this word allowed on purpose because I, I want us to get, get to that just now. In any event, um, conferences are now allowed for work purposes, commercially licensed accommodation, but not home sharing services like Airbnb, and that will cross that bridge just now also in conversation. And of course, cinemas, theaters, and casinos are open, and non-contact sports like um, golf and tennis. But uh, Nicholas, even as I say this, 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 this language of allowed, why is it problematic for us to literally be seeking permission from politicians and bureaucrats for 
seemingly innocuous everyday things like this. Is there a bigger political problem to this language and, and normalizing it? It just makes us all into Oliver Twist, asking the government, can we please have some more of our rights back? Um, and these are things which are essential rights of us being human and of being adults, making our own choices to be able to make our own uh, um, informed decisions about risks, and they're not letting us do this. Um, there's You're statistically more likely to die in a car crash, yet no one's banning cars, but apparently we're not allowed, We for most of lockdown, we weren't allowed to go for a walk in the park by ourselves. And now they're just giving us a little bit more of our rights. Uh, rights. And I think it's because they've realized the lockdown's stupid, but they don't want to lose face. So they're just slowly giving us our rights so they can say, oh, look, look, you should still love us because we are we are giving you all these things. Mm. Just, just ignore that you had them before uh, 85 days ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, it, it, it's and again, I think you're spot on. It, it's as I've been saying online, that there is a very big danger to normalizing the idea that politicians ought to be able to control all aspects of people's lives. And if there's one thing that this lockdown has done is basically uh, seek to do exactly that, which is to normalize the language around politicians being able to tell us who can and can't do something, who are the winners and who are the losers in society. Now, let's look at some of these particular uh, uh, provisions that we're quote-unquote now allowed to do. I mean... um, I, I tweeted this this week and it, it sort of went quite a bit viral. I, I said, it's kind of weird that we're not allowed, it's still actually uh, illegal, so to speak, to go to a, a friend's place or a family relative's home to visit them, yet we can still meet um, at a cinema or at a restaurant um, or in a nail salon together. It, it seems, just talk to me about whether these regulations are even rational, uh, Nicholas. Well, I want to ask a question. If my friend runs a nail salon from their house. Am I allowed to visit them? <laughs> that, uh, um, there's just, it's completely arbitrary. There's no, I, I can't believe that a sentient human being actually okayed it, much less wrote it in the first place. I mean, there are some serious um, gaps here. Uh, again, as I said, I want us to zoom in on a few areas here because I think they speak to a lot, a lot of what uh, has been the war against private enterprise, against inno- innovation, uh, an ongoing war the government has had. And I want to zoom in particularly on, on the, uh, the, the provision which they, they, they quite literally title, what's now allowed is commercially licensed accommodation, um, and in brackets they say, but not home sharing services. Now, anybody who's been paying attention to the news cycle for the past four, maybe five years, will know know that government has has been in a war, uh, essentially, um, and trying to regulate services like Airbnb, these home sharing services, which, you know, by and large have created much more um, uh, demand for accommodation, more options for people who are travelers. Um, And it doesn't surprise me, or I don't know if it surprises you, Nicholas, that of course when they then reopen uh, quote-unquote commercially licensed accommodation, they would exclude something like Airbnb. Is this not rent-seeking or protecting their rent-seekers? No, of course it is. So the governments don't like change because they're stagnant entities inherently, but also because they have their cronies and they have their friends, and their friends are either going to be other politicians or people in big government. Um, not big government, so big government as well, big business, sorry. And they don't like Airbnb, they don't like Uber, and they don't like these online things because they're different and they're harder to regulate and they're harder to control. And also, it really just upsets their um, core crony group. 
Absolutely. Um, yeah, look, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, again, you know, reading all of this, I, I must begin to look at the broader conversation now around, you know, South Africans and their perceptions around liberty in particular. Um, it, it does seem, and I hate to say this, but because it's actually really true, um, it does seem that government has begun, again, to normalize the idea that they are in charge of everyday behaviors, everyday actions, um, Ooh, excuse me, you lost there for a moment. Um, and that by and large, you know, I don't think these, these, these diktats and these provisions will end once, you know, these lockdowns are, are, excuse me, once these various levels of the lockdown are over. And that for me is the danger here. Um, talk to me, Nick, around, um, generally speaking, what does a free society actually look like? Um, and I'll come back to this, the, the lockdown because I think there is a bit more to be said about it. Uh, but what is what what like the average average South African listening to us speaking now might be thinking, oh, but these two uh, just seem to be railing against these lockdowns for the sake of railing against them. But surely there, there's something larger that we are we're picking up here, isn't there? Yes. So uh, what a free society looks like to me, um, I'll say on its smallest level, it's the idea of how you teach a child what an adult is to be like. That yourself, you're responsible for yourself, you're um, responsible for the people around you, but you can't tell them what to do. You have to have mutual respect for them. I believe that a free society is a society of adults who treat each other like adults. It's a society where no organization or group or government can basically force an adult to do something that it doesn't. Uh, so as long as... Uh, uh, Things that connect. Uh, um, my brain connection just fizzled out for a second. <laughs> Early mornings, <laughs> it's <man>. a fire. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a society. So unless that adult is actually going to be harming other people, there's no group that has the right to actually enhance force against them. So unless that person is going to be harming other people, threatening other people, they need to be left alone, and they need to be left alone to conduct their own businesses. And as we know from the whole uh, march of human history, economic theory, and just common sense, you don't need to be ha have multiple degrees to know that free markets are the best way to generate wealth. In fact, you can go to the Scandinavian countries, a lot of American socialists will call socialist countries, and they'll say, no, we actually have free markets, we just have free markets and welfare. The great irony is you cannot fund a welfare state without capitalism. And I think that a free society is simply one where you are allowed to be an adult and you're allowed to make your own informed decisions, maybe even sometimes uninformed decisions, as long as you're not hurting other people. Mm. And that is the only role for government, I believe, to stop that negative relations between two people where there's no consent. And, and I would generally very much agree with you. Um, and uh, this is where I wanted to sort of uh, focus the conversation because as I've been saying on the show for quite a while, and maybe my listeners feel as if I'm a stuck record on this, uh, there, there is a goal here. This isn't just something which is being done under the guise of tackling uh, you know, COVID. The, 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 the government and the political party behind the government that we have at the moment has very clear goals guided by the ideology that they're trying to enact here which is firstly uh, to normalize the idea that politicians ought to have the power uh, to pick winners and losers in society. That's clearly the, the overarching goal here. But then there are particular policy proposals that they're going to head into um, that, that essentially uh, then, uh, ooh, excuse me, 
there's particular pol- po- policy directions that they're going to go in to basically do exactly this. Um, and I, I, I tweeted today, and I want to get your view on this, is, you know, I, I said basically, as, as Cyril Ramaphosa recently said, I think yesterday, that the recovery from COVID, because remember now they're blaming COVID for all this and not the lockdown, which is their decision. Uh, the recovery from COVID will be, quote, state-led, will be led by the state. Now, um, I'm going to ask you a few questions in this area, just to quickly let you know that we, uh, I'm going to take a break in about a minute or two, and then after the break, we'll pick up the conversation for about 10 minutes. So just maybe mull, mull it over, but where we're going to go, uh, Nicholas, is I want us to talk about expropriation without compensation, um, prescribed assets, the bailouts for these zombie SOEs like SAA and SCOM, uh, the continuously bloated government, higher taxes, and of course the NHI, which is where I believe is the direction that we're going to be headed in when the president talks about something like you know, uh, you know, development now being state-led to recover from the, uh, the, the lockdown. So I'm going to pick up that conversation with my guest, uh, the managing editor of the uh, Rational Standard, an online newspaper, after these short messages. All right, guys, welcome back to the Big Daddy Liberty Show. Uh, I'm in conversation, of course, with um, the managing editor of the uh, Rational Standard, excuse me, uh, Mr. Nicholas Wood-Smith. Nick, before the break, uh, you know, I, I really was beginning to pivot the conversation in where I think is the direction, the ultimate direction of where we're being led by politicians. Politicians who have quite clearly... Um, indicated they are pining for more power, pining for more control, and these lockdowns have been a, a wonderful conduit for this for them. Now, Nick, before the break and in the last sort of 10 minutes of our conversation, um, I raised the following areas that we need to watch out for. And I want, us to have a, uh, I want to get your views, basically, on some of these areas. Let me just quickly go back to my notes. Um, Nick, I've got a feeling we're going to see the, the return of greater rhetoric around if we're going to, as, as the state would, would argue, if we're going to recover the South African economy, then we need to look at funding sources other than international loans, which are becoming ever increasingly expensive for government, um, and prescribed assets, therefore, the policy of prescribed assets, which is basically, in simple terms, uh, dipping into people's pension funds in order to fund um, you know, various... Um, uh, in, in, uh, uh, state projects, other current expenditure or, or SOEs will be a, an area. But, but Nick, talk to me. Why is this a problem? Why, why is it problematic for the state to basically confiscate people's pensions to pay for government expenditure? It's simple theft. Those pensions are the savings and the lifeblood of many people in this country. Um, and I know that um, I can't see why, how it's not theft. People have been saving and working um, whatever pension scheme they have their um, entire lives, stocking this up so they can retire, so they can uh, relax in their twilight years. And now the government just wants to take it. And let's face it, it's not for some sort of responsible austerity program. It's um, purely just to fund their corruption, to fund their overspending, and just to further prevent what they really don't want to do, which they have to do, which is just cut costs tremendously mm. and also open up their economy so they can actually encourage people to produce wealth 
instead of just confiscating this, uh, the diminishing pie, which is the tact that they're using at the moment. But then, you know, someone from the government might push back, Nick, as you say that, and say, oh, but hang on, Nick, why would you say that? Of course we need to, you know, because of the high unemployment caused by COVID, wink, wink, and not the lockdown, um, we, we've got to hire more people in government, Nick. We, uh, how dare you say government is bloated? We, we've got to hire more people in government, surely, not Nick? Well, I would respond, and I have responded on quite a few occasions, that government jobs are not real jobs. Firstly, they do not produce actual wealth. And even if they do produce some sort of value, it's always going to be at a higher cost than their private sector alternatives. When you have a, let's say, a private sector cleaner, you have a relationship between a client and a cleaner. When you have a government cleaner, you have a relationship between the taxpayers, the bureaucrats who are then taking a cut, more bureaucrats are taking a cut, the president at the top taking a cut, and then there's going to be a cleaner. And then there's probably some tender fraud and corruption along the way as well. Um, a bloated government is just at its best, is just going to be t uh, taking jobs which the private sector could be doing much more efficiently and then just making it much more expensive. Mm. Uh, what they're doing is just working themselves. No, I would agree. <laughs> um, but then again, there's further pushback, Nick, um, because then they say, but no, Nick, you just don't understand. Um, you know, any, any modern government, even, even some of these Western governments, look at how they're bailing out um, you know, the, 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 their private sectors. So this must be a case of capitalism having failed after this COVID-19. So why shouldn't we bail out uh, you know, our companies, whether they're state-owned companies or even private sector big firms that are, that are coming to us for bailouts? Um, and to do this, we can even go down the pathway of expropriating without compensation so that we can afford some of this stuff. How, how is any of this a bad idea? Nick? So, number one, um, capitalism works because people can fail in it. And that failure incentivizes people to actually perform well. The reason governments inherently cannot actually perform well is because they get paid if they do the job or if they don't. When the thing about a, a, a proper capitalist company is that if they fail, they don't get paid, they, go into, uh, they become insolvent. And it's that incentive of the possibility of failure that drives capitalist companies to do well. But if you have a corporatist society which just passes bailouts around and just subsidizes everyone, so there's no possibility of failure, you're not creating a vibrant, strong, self-sustaining economy. You're creating basically a society of children, of little people in business suits who are holding out their hands for handouts from the government. And um, EWC... Um, Firstly, expropriation is not going to help fund this because, all, as I said, you're just taking from the pie. You're not growing the pie. And all you've, firstly, you're also taking property from people who own it, which is going to uh, seem and on the most <laughs> practical level, that's going to just be chasing away potential investors. It's not going to be encouraging anyone to invest in your country. It's going to be chasing away potential taxpayers. <sighs> it is not encouraging the growth of wealth in the country and that's what we need to do if we want to actually raise our tax base mm. not take more money from the people who are already becoming poor because of government's stupid policies no man i hear you um all right okay fine so may maybe as the last refuge then uh, you know so some individual hit back and said but no come on nick you you can't be saying this you, you just don't care about the poor you you want them to suffer so you're basically saying we should leave them to the cold winds of of you know capitalism and market forces um 
And, and, and obviously, you, you'd say the same thing about healthcare. Uh, this is why we as government want to uh, institute a, a national health insurance, insurance, which is to basically take all the private healthcare in the country, all the public health care, and any expenditure in healthcare, and basically put it under the control of government under the NHI fund, the National Health Insurance Fund. You clearly would be opposed to this, Nick, but why? Let's look at the things that government runs in this country already. Now, ESCOM being a notable example. Do you want load shedding in healthcare? And healthcare is, um, there's a lot of complicated things about healthcare that maybe should be streamlined, but I do not think that state-led healthcare, especially this state, and I don't think any state that's possibly electable in this country, will be able to run an efficient NHI. Firstly, the system itself is inherently flawed. Uh, the Free Market Foundation has just libraries full of uh, papers of why the system scientifically cannot work. But just on a base um, common sense level, do you really want the people running ESCOM, uh, SAA, the South African Police Service, and the South African Army that doesn't have any ammunition to run our health care? And do you really want them to play with the health care and the uh, um, and the health of your children when you send them to a clinic that's now been um, no longer being allowed to be independent and has to rely on the stupid NHI system. I think that's a very good question that people, <laughs> when you put it like that, they'll probably see in, in very lucid terms that it's probably not a good idea to allow government to run into these things. Nick, I'm running out of time with you, but um, I, I really want us to end off um, here. Talk to me, Nick, about what we can expect um, on your platform, the Rational Standard. I know there's some very good pieces on there. Um, you know, what can what can we expect going forward? Can we hear more of these ideas around liberty and freedom from you? Hello. Guys, welcome back to the BDL show. Um, bit of a disappointing one. Really bad line um, that's affected the show. <clears throat> um, I hope I still have my guest with me. Uh, Nick, are you still on the line? I'm still here. Yeah, maybe just to conclude our conversation very quickly um, in the sort of two minutes. Um, I was basically asking, you know, uh, the rational standard, where can people find it? And what are some of the interesting articles that are on there at the moment? So you can reach us at www.rationalstandard.com or follow us on Facebook. Just look for The Rational Standard. Uh, some of the articles, we discuss um, political issues in South Africa from a classical liberal or liberty-oriented lens. We were founded because we believe that a lot of the mainstream media and other media houses do not cater to a particular brand of academic analysis of particular issues. Uh, almost capitalist issues as well as taking things from the uh, side of uh, pro-civil liberties and pro-individualism. Uh, we have a lot of articles on issues at UCT. We have a lot of issues about the lockdown. And um, we also will delve into anything from current affairs and policy analysis to just discussing philosophical ideas around South African politics, like the Ubuntu and 
if it applies to a modern context. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I've, that was, of course, Nicholas Wood-Smith, who is the managing editor of The Rational Standard. Guys, as I wrap up the show, and as I always do, what are some of the items that I think you should be looking out for in the news week ahead? Well, it's definitely this one, the VBS Mutual Bank. The looters of that bank have been nabbed. That's right. Eight men were arrested this past week. In fact, yesterday for looting, uh, for the looting of the, the, the mutual bank that mostly had the pensioners, poor pensioners, pensioners' savings in it, and it was looted to about 2.2 billion rand. Uh, these eight men, who seven of whom uh, appeared in the Palm Ridge Regional Court yesterday, uh, basically were set a bail of 100,000 rand. They faced essentially 47 charges of fraud, money laundering, theft, and corruption. Why am I raising this? Because you'll remember, of course, that this is the, the, the looting saga that implicated top politicians in this country, including allegedly top le- uh, uh, top the top echelon, excuse me, of the EFF and of course the ANC. So we need to watch this one because it does come down to becoming an issue of does the rule of law still apply in this country? Will the justice system uh, nab even those who are in power? Uh, so we definitely need to watch that one. And of course, as I end every show with the Moomish of the week, uh, the Moomish or the loser of the week. Who is it this week, Big Daddy Liberty, you're wondering? Well, it has to be a one Jacob Zuma. Yes, that's right. The former president of the republic um, <laughs> who essentially weighed in this week on Youth Day on the issue of of race, a, a such an ongoing, tired topic in this country, by basically suggesting, as he did, uh, that educated blacks, he, he, he railed against what he called educated blacks who, quote, think like whites or white people. Now, doesn't that tell you everything you need to know about the state, uh, the racist state, really, of the former president? You know, where he, he actually, quote, said, it's absolutely problematic for me uh, is to see Africans who are doctors and professors thinking like white people. He goes on to say, that's what bothers me. It's one thing to think like a white, but what, what really pains me uh, the most is the inst- that they are used as the instruments of white people, close quote. That is a, an individual who used to be the president of this country, essentially race-baiting and playing people up against black and white. It's unfortunately the nature of our politics at the moment. It's disgusting, and it has to be called out. At some stage, we need to, as South Africans, argue the non-racial point and argue it vehemently that you cannot build a prosperous, property-earning, liberty-leaning, and non-racial society when your politicians in your society are basically busy playing the race game of suggesting that one grouping is a certain way or the other is a certain way or that somehow, as individuals, we think based on our race. It's absolutely racist, abhorrent behavior, and it has to be called out. So who is the Mumish of the week? Well, there you have it. Former President Jacob Zuma takes that title this week. What a momish. Guys, on that note, thank you very much for listening to the Big Daddy Liberty Show. Sorry for all the technical glitches. The podcast will be made available later on the day. Shout out to everybody who is on the technical team who put this together. Guys, it was a weird one today, but um, we'll only get better and better. Guys, thank you so much for listening to the Big Daddy Liberty Show. I will see you next week on the BDL Show.